Likutei Sicha Yitzchelik Yudzayin, Parshat Shmini, Sicha Gimel. We learn L'Eloi Nishmas Rabbi Yosef Binyamin Ben Rav Menashe Kaltman. And we continue to learn in the schus of the shluchim, the shluchais, their children and their communities of Ukraine, those who have left and those who remain and those who have returned to tend to their communities. Parshas Shmini brings us the conclusion of the building of the Mishkan and the eight-day inauguration of the tabernacle. On the eighth day, Hashem's presence descends on the Mishkan, a fire descends to consume the sacrifices, and the Kohanim, Aaron and his sons, begin their Aveda, their service. The Torah tells us that the two elder sons of Aaron, Nadav and Avihu, bring up an incense offering that has not been requested by God, and they die. As the nation is in the midst of the inauguration ceremony for the Mishkan, Moshe instructs Aaron and his remaining sons to consume the carbon chatos, the sin offering in the Kodesh, in a holy designated place, despite the death of his sons. But Aaron and his sons do not do so, and the offering is burnt instead. According to the Teres Kayanim, the reason this sin offering was burnt was on account of the fact that Aaron and his sons were in the category of Einin. They were bereaved due to the deaths of Nadav and Avihu. And the Torah forbids Karbanas to be consumed by a Kayin who is an Einin. In all, three sin offerings were brought on that day. One, the sin offering, which was part of the special offerings brought on the opening day of the Mishkan, as mentioned in the beginning of this chapter, of this portion. And the second, Nachshin's offering, as part of the offerings brought by the Nesim, the leaders, on the first 12 days of the operation of the tabernacle. And the third, the Chattas, the sin offering of Rosh Chodesh. Of these three offerings, the first two are in a category called Kodshei Sha'a, offerings specifically brought on that occasion. The third is in the category of Kodshei Deires, sacrifices that would be offered on an ongoing basis. Every Rosh Chodesh, a goat, was offered as a sin offering. And indeed, the first two Chattas offerings were consumed by Aaron and his sons. It was specifically the third Chattas offering, the third sin offering, that of Rosh Chodesh, the one that was Katshei Deiris, offerings that would be brought on an ongoing basis into generations, which we, this was the offering concerning which Moshe and Aaron have their exchange. When Moshe questions Aaron as to why he did not do as instructed and instead allowed this sin offering sacrifice on behalf of the nation to be burned, Aaron answered that because of his status as an oinin, a mourner, Hashem would not have been pleased. And in Pasukhof of Perak Yud, verse 20 of chapter 10, we learn, Vayishma Moshe, Moshe heard Aaron's response, Vayitav Be'enov, and it pleased him. 
Rashi comments on the words Vayitav Be'enov and says, Hoida veloi voish, loi mar loi shamati. Moshe admitted that Aaron was indeed right, and he wasn't embarrassed to say that he hadn't heard this from God. The commentaries seek to explain the Rashi in consonance with the Gemara that says, had Moshe been embarrassed, he would have said, I didn't hear of this law. But Shelobosh, because he wasn't embarrassed, he didn't say, I didn't hear of this law, but rather he admitted and said, Shamati Vishachachti, I heard it and forgot it as it is explained in a lengthy discussion in the tractate of Zvachim regarding this event and the relevant laws. But according to Rashi's simple reasoning, the Mefarshim's explanation is difficult to understand. We know that Rashi elucidates Torah in a clear and transparent style so that even a five-year-old scholar can comprehend it. If Rashi's intention in saying Hoida was that Moshe admitted to Shamati Vishachachti, having heard the halacha but forgetting it, surely Rashi would not have left out these essentially important words that Moshe supposedly said. We well understand that Rashi is not depending on the fact that the Gemara uses these words, Shamati Vishachachti, I heard and forgot, because we've learned frequently that Rashi explains things and does not depend on someone finding explanations or sources elsewhere. Furthermore, in our situation, Rashi doesn't quote a source in the Gemara in his explanation. It appears then that on the contrary, Rashi, who seeks to explain the literal intention of a verse, is not teaching us as the Gemara teaches. Let's explore this further. What is the question in the Pasuk that Rashi wants to explain? It would seem that the Pasuk is self-explanatory. Vayishma Moshe, Moshe heard Aaron's explanation and response, Vayitav Be'enov, and he was satisfied. What in the Pasuk drives this explanation that Rashi gives? He admitted and wasn't embarrassed to say, I never heard this. Some commentaries suggest that proof for Rashi's explanation are the words that Moshe heard, which seem to be redundant words. Clearly Moshe heard Aaron. Aaron was talking to him and he was listening. And so it would have been sufficient for the verse to just say Vayita Be'ene Moshe, and he was satisfied. And the fact that the verse prefaces Vayita Be'ene Moshe with the words Vayishma Moshe that Moshe heard really alludes to the fact that Moshe had already previously heard these words from Hashem himself, but he forgot them, and therefore Vayitav Be'enov, he was happy with Aaron's answer because he then remembered what he had heard. But this really doesn't seem discernible from the Pasuk, and therefore can't be Rashi's intention, because the vernacular for this would have been the Shoma, as in he heard in the past. And Rashi's explanation would then be quoting the words Vayishma Moshe from the verse. And surely Rashi would have stated this, particularly as this explanation 
kind of makes redundant what seems to be the simple understanding of the words Vayishma Moshe. That Moshe heard Aaron's words, and at the very least, Rashi would have had to specify that Shamati Vishachachti. I heard and I forgot, which would then give reason for the presence of the words Vayishma Moshe in the verse if they weren't about his hearing Aaron. There is something else that needs to be understood here. In Parshas Matis, when the nation wages war against the Midianites for seducing the Jewish men to sin, a 12,000-strong army led by Pinchas goes out to battle. They kill all the men and bring back the spoils of war, the plundered cattle, gold, and silver, and the Midianite women and the small children to Moshe, to Elazar the Kayan, and to the nation. Moshe, the Torah tells us, became angry at the officers for allowing the females of Midian to live. Moshe then instructs the generals what to do and instructs them to purify all garments, leather articles, goat products, and all wooden articles. Moshe, in fact, says Rashi, forgot the halacha regarding purging the vessels of Gentiles because he had become angry. Rashi continues and says a similar event took place on the eighth day of the Mishkan's inauguration. Moshe became angry with the actions of the Koyhanim, and so he made a mistake. And similarly, when he struck, struck the rock in error out of anger, which essentially tells us that to say that Moshe erred, there must be a reason and an explanation for the error in the pshat, in the literal words of the verse. So this really challenging idea, how does Moshe come to error, should have been explained by Rashi here the first time that Moshe made an error because of his anger. But Rashi doesn't explain that here. Rashi only brings us later in Parshas Matis. Why is that? The explanation for this is that in Rashi's explanation, he admitted and wasn't embarrassed and said, I haven't heard this halacha, intends for this to be understood just as Rashi says it. That Moshe admitted and wasn't embarrassed to say, Shamati, I didn't hear from God this difference between Kodshei Sha'a, the sacrifices that were relevant to the inauguration, that could be eaten, and Kodshei Deireis, the sacrifices which would be brought in the future and onwards. The sacrifices that were Kodshei Sha'a, could be eaten in a state of aninus, of mourning, but the sacrifices of Kodshei Deireis could not. The reason Rashi does not explain this as the Gemara does, and does not reckon as the Gemara does, that Moshe heard the difference, but forgot and admitted this, was, and admitted this, and was not embarrassed to admit it, and said, Shamati Vishachachti, I heard and forgot, is because it's then difficult to understand the literal verse. And how is this somehow praiseworthy of Moshe to explain this verse by saying he wasn't embarrassed to tell the truth that he heard and forgot, rather than saying he didn't hear, as it says in the Pasuk? Would Moshe lie? How exactly can it be said of Moshe that Vayita Be'enov 
in responding to something that he had heard from God. So there are two questions here. One is that what is praiseworthy in stating that Moshe wasn't lying, that Moshe told the truth? And the second question is, those words, if they're supposed to go on the fact that Moshe had heard something but forgot it, and then he was pleased to hear it again because he remembered it, he's saying this about something he had heard from God. How can it be said that Moshe said on something he had heard from God? More importantly, the words suggest that there could have been a different conclusion. But this was Hashem's instruction. So it should have said, Vayitav be'ene Hashem. Why would the Pasuk say, Vayitav be'enav? Hence, Rashi is of the opinion that the explanation here is simply that Moshe did not hear this difference from God. As Rashi indeed points out in his explanation on the previous verse, when Aaron says, I am an Oinin, today tragic events have happened, and would it have pleased God if I had eaten the chattas today? Which Rashi explains as Aaron saying to Moshe, Im If you heard from God that an oinin can eat from the special day sacrifices, you have no right, says Aaron to Moshe, Rashi explains, to be lenient regarding kodshei doiris which you are challenging me on, to which we understand Moshe could have just remained silent in agreement to Aaron. And the words in the verse as praiseworthy of Moshe are that he did not remain silent. He admitted he wasn't embarrassed to say, I didn't hear this. Or Moshe could even have just agreed and not said, I didn't hear. Rashi's understanding of Ayitav Be'enov, that Moshe was pleased with Aaron's answer, and not that he had heard it and, now re- and forgotten and now remembered it, so he was pleased, is because though Kodshei Deiris are in several halachic instances the same as Kodshei Sha'ah, in this case, Aaron's halachic determination was correct, and his psak, his determination, was good in the eyes of Moshe. The difficulty in this pasuk that Rashi seeks to explain is on the words vayitav be'enov. It was good in Moshe's eyes. Moshe was pleased, which seems superfluous. It's clear that Moshe heard what Aaron said, so the words vayishma Moshe must have a deeper resonance. There is a listening that is beyond hearing. As for example, the listening Adam did to Chava's words in the Garden of Eden. As the Pasuk there reads, that God says to him, because you, Adam, not heard, but listened to your wife and ate from the tree. Or like in Parshish Miketz, when Yosef's brothers come up to Egypt and are standing before Yosef, talking among themselves, assuming he can hear, but not understand them, not really listen to what they're saying. And the Pasuk reads, They did not know Yosef was listening, not hearing, but really listening. So that's what Vayishma Moshe must mean. 
which then brings the question, so what do the words Vayitav Be'enov come to add? We must then conjecture that not only were Arin's words accepted by Moshe, but the words were also Vayitav Be'enov. And this teaches us something else, something novel, that Arin's words were so well received by Moshe that he wanted others to hear them too and repeated them, Leimer, to others. The words Haidavalai Vaish, Leimer, Leishamati are a tribute to Moshe, for he publicized that he himself did not hear this, though he could have just stopped at agreeing with Aaron's determination regarding the sacrifices. In this case, the explanation that's given in Parshas Matis, that because Moshe came to anger, he came to error, is not as relevant here as it is there. For in fact, the difference between Kotshei Doris and Kotshei Sha'ah, sacrifices for future generations and sacrifices for the present event, is a logical determination, which makes it open to two opinions. And so Rashi doesn't need to address in this event, in this verse, how Moshe could err. In Parshas Matis, on the other hand, where it's ascertainable that Moshe's anger caused him to err, this is a real question of why Dafke, this anger, brought this result. And so in Matais, Rashi continues and says, You find the same during the tabernacle inauguration where it says, And Moshe became angry. Once that explanation there points to this unusual circumstance that Rashi teaches of Moshe's anger, this can also be explained retro in the event in our Parsha that it was Moshe's anger that disempowered him from knowing the halacha in the sacrifices of that event and the sacrifices for all generations, which Aaron did know. Looking deeper into this Rashi, into the Yena Shaltaira, we observe that we need to understand why in the difference of opinion that existed between Moshe and Aaron, why was Moshe inclined to see things as he did? That there was no difference in the Kadshei Deiris and the Kadshei Sha'ah. And if Moshe saw things as he did, so much so that he was angered when he saw that Aaron and his sons handled the sacrifices different to the way he understood, why did he change his mind when Aaron explained his premise with no proof, and not only did Moshe change his mind, but beyond that, Vayitav Be'enov, he was pleased with the response. Looking at this reasoning from a deeper perspective, we see that the difference between Moshe and Aaron is, as the Medrash relates, Chesed ze Aaron ve'emes ze Moshe. Chesed, the character trait of kindness, was represented in the persona of Aharon and truth in the persona of Moshe. A feature of truth is that it experiences no change. It isn't alterable ever under any circumstances. Kindness, on the other hand, which is benevolence towards another, requires consideration of the individual's unique needs 
of the individual and the unique needs of the recipient, and it's experienced differently each time one extends benevolence to another, both for the giver and for the receiver. As we read in the tractate Titus in the record of the story of Choyni Hamagel, who prayed and prayed for rain when there was a drought, and when it poured in such abundance and people needed to seek higher ground, they asked him to pray for the rain to cease. And he instructed that they bring a bull to be brought as a sacrifice, as thanksgiving to God. And he prayed and said, They can't bear the excess of good that you're bestowing upon them. And therefore, according to Moshe's understanding, emanating from his character trait of emes, truth, his opinion was that there would be no distinction as to how time or a situation would impact Kodshei Deiris and Kodshei Shah, for the holiness in both is consistent. But Aaron, who was an Oyev Shalom, the Roid of Shalom, Oyev Zabriyes Umekarvan Latayra, who loved and pursued peace, who loved all creatures, people who only deserved the appellation of creature, and sought to bring them close to Torah, was of the opinion emanating from this character trait that time and circumstance would make a difference between Kodshei Shah and Kodshei Deiris. This was the perspective of Chesed. This, in fact, reflects the spiritual roles of Moshe and Aaron. Moshe served as Shushbina de Malka, the escort of the king, and Aaron as Shushbina de Matranisa, escort for the queen. Moshe's Aveda, Moshe's service as escort to the king, was in bringing godliness down to the nation, drawing it from above below the light drawn down descending as it is above, unfiltered from the world of Atsilus. Arin's task as an escort to the queen was to raise the congregation of Israel up from below, and this elevation was determined by the status of the nation, and thus it fluctuated accordingly. Nevertheless, when Moshe heard from Arin that in man's divine service in this world, things fluctuate and it's not a steady reality, so that what was true right then could not be said to be the experience for generations to come. Moshe received this and received it as truth. To better understand this, let's look at the love of God of a Benini. The Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya and Parakut Gimel, chapter 13, Lagabe medregis habeinanim nekreis aveda tama be'emes la'amitoi. The service of divine love of a Benini is true and genuine. It's their truth. And according to each one's level, as is reflected in their individual reality of the level of Benini. Even though for a tzaddik, where divine love is in a state of perfect truth, the divine love of a Benini is not experienced as perfect truth because it shifts after prayer. And we're taught in Mishlei 
that spoken truth is always true and that a falsehood passes quickly. And yet, absolute truth exists only in God. As the prophet Yermiyahu states, Vahavaya Eloikim Emes, God himself is truth. The world as it is, is not a vehicle for truth because all creatures have a time where they cease to exist. So when we witness truth in this world, even when it's only a relative truth and perhaps not truth on the loftier level, we must say that this truth springs forth from the absolute truth of God that enlivens and illuminates every creature. This idea is similar to the explanation given for the word ma'idecha or ma'idcha, for the mitzvah of v'yahavta es Hashem aleikecha bechol ma'idecha, a person's unlimitedness and boundlessness, his might, that can arouse the ma'id of God, the truly unboundless and unlimitedness of God. Even when ma'id, might, is only unlimited within the parameters of his limitations and not unlimited when compared to a higher level of divine love, ultimately absolute unlimitedness exists only in the divine. Creatures are by nature and are in essence limited and thus cannot experience unlimitedness. And that experience for a person draws from and is bound to God's true unlimitedness. And so a person's might does indeed resemble true unlimitedness, and it thus arouses the unlimited absolute divine. In our discussion, the same is true. The perceived difference in the holiness and divine service of current and for generations, is complete, consistent, and true as it reflects the absolute truth of God in the resonance of a Jew at any given time. And this is all as divine truth is illuminated in this world and within people. And yet the trait of truth in Moshe is as it is reflected in Atsilus, beyond creation and creatures. Hence, Moshe did not discern a difference between Kotshe Sha'a and Kotshe Deiris. But through Aaron, Moshe too could experience this level of truth, and thus Vayishma Moshe Vayitav Be'enov. Moshe heard Aaron's words, and it was pleasing in his eyes. This was possible because the purpose of the world of Atsilus is for the spiritual service of godliness revealed below. In other words, Atsilus has two realities, Atsilus beyond creation and transcending creation, and Atsilus as a world for the purpose of the illumination of the world of Asiya. Moshe, too, is a composite of both of these experiences. Moshe, the absoluteness of truth of Atsilus, apart and higher than the fluctuations that exist on a human level. And then there is the experience of the 
intention of Atsilus, which is brought about through Aaron, who is Oyevis Abrius Umakarvan Latira, who as escort to the queen drew people to Torah and to Torah's Moshe, enabling the light of revelation to be illuminated below. And so Vayishma Moshe Vayitav Be'enov, Moshe now became the conduit for this revelation of Atsilus in this world. The lesson in our personal divine service is that when we are reflecting on our own relationship with God, on our own divine service, we need to be consistent. And we're empowered to be so through the fact that Ani Havaya Loishanisi, as the prophet Malachi prophesizes, God says, I have not changed, and you, the sons of Yaakov, have not ceased. You too are empowered to not change. But when you look at another Jew of any level and any status, place yourself in his position and know that not always are we the same and not all circumstances are equal. You can't help another under the assumption that he can be consistent in his divine service. It's different when it's a time of divine benevolence and when it's a time of concealment. It's the effort you put into really getting where the other person is, no matter who he is, really garbing yourself in his situation and stepping into his situation, that you can help him hear MS Hashem Lo'elam, the truth of God's ever-presence. And you can then impact his consistency in his relationship with God. Only when chesed ve'emes nivgoshu, tzedek v'sholem nashaku, when kindness and truth meet, where righteousness and peace kiss, can God illuminate, can God's, excuse me, ultimate will for a dear be fulfilled.